Well, good morning, Generation Life Church, once again. Hey, if you happen to come in just a few minutes after, uh, my name is Keith, and I have the honor of serving as lead servant here at Generation Life Church. And um, if you're a guest with us, we just want to welcome you. Right after this service is over, we have just a little area with an orange table out there, and we've got a free gift for you. So if you'd stop by, we'd love to be able to connect with you. Um, Today, we have something really, really special. Um, I've got my brother-in-law who is with us, and um, he has preached here before, and his name is James Dodds White. And um, you guys, I don't know if he needs a huge introduction. You know, some churches will be like, you know, the husband of one wife, uh, three children. You know, it's like, okay, cool. Um, I don't need to get into all of that and get into his lineage and all, but he's a man of God, uh, comes from a godly family. I mean, his grandfather was a man of God. His father is a man of God, and he is as well. And uh, this morning, we were hanging out in my living room, and um, we both have a habit of waking up fairly early, especially when we're going to preach and um, going straight for the coffee machine and from the coffee machine to uh, a chair somewhere to pray. And uh, so, Every time we get together, it's always really cool because we're on the same page and we pray. And um, so we had an opportunity to pray together. And while we were doing that, uh, we shared the same father-in-law who was also a mighty man of God. And so um, what's so cool is we were just kind of reminiscing of how faithful God has been in our lives, how faithful he's been in our children's lives. Um, Nobody's perfect, right? how uh, much grace God has had in all of our lives. Um, and it was just such, such a cool time to be with James. And um, as we began to talk about his message a little bit, um, I'm realizing that some of the things that we were communicating and, and reminiscing about are actually part of the message today. And so I think you guys are in for a real treat. And I'm praying that you would prepare your hearts, that the Lord would speak to you guys today. And uh, if you will, give a warm Generation Life Church welcome to my brother-in-law, James. Come on, put your hands together, everybody. Do I need to use this? Okay. All right. Thank you, Keith. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Somebody left a bottle of water that's already drank out of. So maybe if I really get thirsty. I was born on the mission field. So, you know, drinking after somebody is no big deal. Well, it is truly an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm so grateful to, to be married into this incredible family. I'm grateful for Keith and for uh, just his faithfulness. I, I remember Keith back in the day just studying the Word of God, and I feel like I struck the, the brother-in-law jackpot with him, and we got a couple other good ones. Um, my son would say, Dad, we got a good spawn. You know, like we spawned into life in a good location, in a good family, and it was a, it was a good, good setup. So... Anyway, um, before I jump in, my uh, nine to five job, I work for Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child. So I know I saw on y'all's Facebook, some of y'all did some shoe boxes. Anybody do shoe boxes this year? Woo! Can we give a hand for those folks right there? That is awesome. So from someone who was uh, behind the scenes with Operation Christmas Child, I'm the... Um, Senior Regional Director for all of Africa. So basically, my job is to oversee about four and a half million of those shoeboxes into the continent of Africa. 
And so, um, and we could not do that without you guys. So you need to know we take very good care of those shoe boxes. They are prayed over, they are facilitated, and we ensure that those boxes land in the hands of children in Africa. And with those boxes, they hear the gospel of Jesus. And then they're invited into a 12-week or 12-lesson discipleship course. So we are literally making millions of disciples every year. So this year, we anticipate about 11 and a half million children will hear the gospel all over the world because of churches like Generation Life Church. So thank you. Awesome. So uh, my message today is found in the, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or, you know, use your finger if you're using a digital Bible. I want to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 7 through 9, and then I'll pray and we will dive in. 1 Samuel 21, verses 7, 8, and 9 says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every person that you brought here, every person watching online. I uh, just pray your blessing on us. Lord, open our ears, open our hearts to receive what you would have to say to us. Lord, we believe that you're a good God, that you're kind, that you're wonderful, you're marvelous. Lord, we could go on and on describing how great you are. And Lord, we often forget that, and I pray that you would help us to remember Help us to remember how good you've been, how faithful you've been all these many years. And so, Lord, we pray for every person that you would speak to them individually, personally, Lord, even just using my voice, that when they walk away from this short message, they would say, wow, I think the Lord spoke to me today. So that's our heart. That's our desire. We ask, Lord, that you would glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's uh, the older I get... It's embarrassing how quickly I forget and how often I forget. The message of, or the title of my message today is called The Powerful Art of Remembering. The Powerful Art of Remembering. I realize that I forget probably, I have forgotten more than I could ever, like the stuff that's in my brain right now, I think I've forgotten about a hundred times what is in my brain. How many, right there, you, you, you forget all the time, like, the older I get, and I'm a grandfather now, so now I have like an added excuse to, you know, for the reason why I forget. But it's actually a little embarrassing. You know, so many times my wife and I will get to a, a situation where maybe there's a financial struggle or financial decision we have to make, and it's embarrassing how quickly we are to freak out. And so many times I'll sit and, we'll, and, we'll, and I'll have to remind the both of us, or she'll remind me, and we'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we've been married 26 years 
And for the last 26 years, God has been faithful to us. He's never let us down. We've always had more than enough. Uh, we, he's, he's always been there, always been faithful, yet at the first sign of trouble or difficulty, we we're like, oh, God, where are you? What's going to happen? I don't know if you guys remember the movie A Bug's Life. Anybody remember that movie back in the day? The, the animated cartoon where all the ants are carrying the seeds, right? And a leaf falls in the way, and the first ant is like, oh, I'm lost. You know, like, that's kind of how we feel sometimes. As soon as there's financial pressure, or as soon as we face a challenge, or things don't work out the way we want, all of a sudden, ah, God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? Why are, where, where, where did you go? Why can't I hear your voice? And we forget. And... If there's one thing I think that would help the church, I know it would help me, is the art of remembering. And as we look at this passage, I think we're going to see something that, uh, almost like in the song, there's a God who fights for us. There's a God who is always there, and he's speaking to us. So let's look at this passage. Before we dive in, let me give you a little setting, kind of, you know, some context for this verse. So, this is in the life of David in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David has already defeated Goliath. And just before this passage, David and Jonathan, his best friend. So Jonathan is the son of Saul, the current king of Israel. And Saul has been jealous of David because David killed Goliath. They're singing songs about David. And so Saul's jealous. And so Jonathan inquired of his dad. He's like, you know, talking about David. And they had this whole little system with arrows about how to figure out if Saul really wants to kill David or not. And so after Jonathan talks to Saul, he finds out, whoa, my dad doesn't like David. He really wants to kill him. And you can read through chapter 20. It'll explain the whole thing. We don't have time to get into it. So anyway, David's leaving. He's fleeing Saul. He's a fugitive. He's on the run, and he's alone. So he goes a little northeast of Jerusalem. Like you can actually, if you look at the physical city of Jerusalem, he goes to a place called Nob, N-O-B, and it's just a little northeast up on a, on, on a hillside, and there's a bunch of priests, about 85 of them, that are kind of residing there. And he goes to uh, the temple there, and in the temple is this dude named Doeg the Edomite. Now, I don't know if I was ever given a name or ever heard a name that sounded more sinister and evil, but Doeg the Edomite probably had no friends. So he's there, and he's the chief herdsman for Saul. And we actually find out in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel that Doeg's a bad dude. Like in chapter two or 22, he ends up slaughtering 85 priests of the Lord. So bad dude, loyal to Saul. So David's fleeing from Saul and he gets to the temple and he sees Doeg right there. And David freaks out. And that's where we find the passage in 1 Samuel 21. So David, he says, oh my goodness, I need a weapon. And fear will often propel us to grab to what's familiar. And so David, he's uh, freaked out. He's afraid. He's like, I need a sword. He goes to Ahimelech the priest. Yo, do you have a sword? And Ahimelech the priest says, all we have is one weapon on the premises, and it's this one, and he unwraps the sword of Goliath. Now, I am so grateful that my brother-in-law, had a sword that is probably one of the meanest looking swords I have ever seen. But imagine 
what went through David's mind when he grabbed the sword of Goliath. Maybe had a little bit of Goliath's blood still on it. He's probably reliving the situation. The last time he saw this sword, it was in Goliath's hand and David put a stone through his head and the sword fell, Goliath fell, David grabbed the sword, you can read it for yourself in 1 Samuel, and he chopped off Goliath's head with this sword. Not like this sword, but you know what I mean. So, you know, I, I think in this passage, of all the swords, I just lost everyone's attention because you're like, oh man, that sword's gonna fall. No. Of all the swords in the world, belonging to all the people in the world, of all the places and temples in the world, the one sword that David needed to see landed in the one place he needed to be. David had a God who fought for him. And God knew that David was going to be on the run, fleeing and forgetting and full of fear. And God was going to position something to help David remember who he was. And I think oftentimes we get in situations where we forget who God is. You know, the, the financial pressure or the diagnosis or the relational conflict or problems at work or frustration, depression, sadness, your kids are acting the fool. So many times when we reach difficult situations, we forget who God is. How many times do we have just memory loss when God has proven himself over and over and over and over and we reach a situation like David full of fear and he's like, oh my goodness, give me a sword. And it, not just any sword, the sword of Goliath was sitting in that temple. And now all of a sudden, David didn't really need a sword. Like he asked for a physical weapon, but he got a spiritual one. He was looking for something that he could, you know, square off against Doeg with. And instead, he got a message from heaven saying, hey, I'm still with you. I'm the God who helped you defeat Goliath. And I'm sending you this sword, not because you need a sword, but because you need a message of how much I don't change. And I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm the God who helped you defeat Goliath. And I'm the God that's going to help you flee Saul. Amen. It could be that the thing we are asking for is not actually what we really need. So many times when I was, when I was a kid, I was a teenager, I was asking Lord, the Lord for a girlfriend, and the Lord in his wisdom didn't, didn't get me what, get, what I was asking for. How many of you out there ask God for stuff that now you praise God he didn't answer your prayer? David didn't need a weapon. He needed to remember God. And so many times, fear will lead us to a, to a desire to control the situation. And I see that in this situation with David. He's afraid. He sees his enemy's chief herdsman right in front of him. And he's like, oh, man, I got to control the situation. Give me a sword. And I'm just saying that because I see it in my own self. So many times when I'm in difficulty, when I'm in a trial, I want to control something. And the Lord in his wisdom and his grace, he's telling us so many things. And one of them is to remember me. Remember the Lord. And maybe you came here. I don't know where you came from. You know, I'm from two and a half hours away up in Boone. But maybe the Lord sent me here to tell you that God just wants you to remember him. And the voice of the Lord maybe is coming out of my mouth saying, remember me. One of my favorite things about God 
is that he doesn't change. You know, like Keith was saying, we come from, a, from generations of men of God. Like my great-grandfather was a minister, my grandfather, my father, and now me and probably my son. We come from generations of people who serve God. And the same God that revealed himself to my great-grandfather is the same God that revealed himself to me this morning and is revealing himself to you in your life. He doesn't change. You know what I love? God doesn't wake up grumpy. I do. Like, I need coffee. I need like liquid Christianity to turn me into somebody civil or I'm kicking the dog. But God doesn't wake up grumpy. He's the same. God sees the end from the beginning and nothing rattles him. Nothing ever occurs to God. Like he sees it coming down the conveyor belt way before it hits our life. I love that about God. When we see who God is, when we see the, the, he's got a, a history of faithfulness in our lives. Like, I don't know about you. Maybe you're brand new to serving God. Maybe this is your first time coming to church. Well, I'm here to tell you, you have jumped into something that is wonderful. Like the God of the universe who created Jupiter and is spitting Saturn and all of the moons and the asteroids. He is in control and in charge. And all of our lives are father filtered once we surrender to him. And so before it ever comes into our life, it goes before his eyes and through his fingers. So that when we land in temples like David, God's able to send us a message that says, hey, I'm still there. I haven't left you, even though you were acting the fool, even though you sinned, even though you ran away from me, even though you, you've ignored me for the last week or the last month, I'm still here. I'm fighting for you. I'm chasing you down. You can't out my grace. My love for you is so wonderful and it's aimed at you. It's better than you ever imagined. We were talking with Keith and Katie last night just about what unconditional love looks like. Like, it's so foreign to me. It's so foreign to us. The love that God gives us isn't based on our performance. I mean, think about that. It's, it, like, takes revelation, like God, to help us understand how amazing his love is. Because all we know is we're good and we get rewarded. We're bad and we get punished. How hard as a parent when our kids misbehave to not withhold our love from them. But I think, listen, parents, look me in the eyes. What if when, you're, when your kids misbehave, the first thing you do is love them? Affirm and reaffirm your love for them. Because we get to share the love that God has given us. We get to dispense it on those around us. And I think that's a picture of what God was doing to David right here in this passage. 1 Samuel chapter 21. So when we remember God, it helps us. Remembering leads to trusting. Remembering leads to trusting. How do you remember? How do we remember God? Well, I got a few ways. You know, like in the Old Testament, when they needed to remember God, uh, they would pile a, a big pile of stones, like, when they crossed over the Jordan River, they didn't have, you know, like a news feed and they didn't have Twitter and they didn't have all these things to help them remember things. They would just pile a big pile of rocks that were immovable. So when they walked by with their kids, they'd be like, Mommy, what's that pile of rocks? Well, son, let me tell you, this is where God saved us. And this is what helps us remember him. 
In the New Testament, they instituted the Lord's Supper, which is communion. And so Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this what? In remembrance of me. Why? Because we forget. About once a year, my wife and I, we like to bust out the old home movies. Our kids aren't that excited about it because uh, they're silly and cute and corny. And, uh, but it's wonderful. And I always get emotional because, you know, it's 10, 20 years back and we're watching our kids when they were toddlers running around and hugging each other and Christmas and all these different things. And it reminds me, man, God was faithful then. He doesn't change and he's faithful now. Maybe one of the things we should do this week is bust out some old home, home movies, some old uh, photo albums. And what should go through our mind is, man, Lord, you have been faithful to me my whole life. Another great practice is keeping a journal. Just every day, read a Bible passage and write it down. Lord, this is what you're doing. This is what's happening. Man, whenever I'm discouraged, I can go to old journals and encourage myself in the Lord. Sometimes I'll watch old sermons that I preach on YouTube, and it'll encourage me in the Lord. Why? Because I forget. And the Lord is, is helping me to remember his faithfulness. One last very practical way on how to remember, Ooh, there it goes, is spend time and tell people what God has done in your life. Like, here's your homework for this afternoon. When you go and have lunch, uh, I challenge maybe all the dads, all the, you know, leading this or anybody in the conversation, start it this way. Let me tell you what the Lord has done in my life. Start it that way. And just begin to tell stories to your kids of God's faithfulness in your life. Why? Because who knows, six months from now, you may be discouraged. There it goes. Who knows, maybe six months from now, you might be discouraged and you might need to hear the story you told them six months earlier. A relationship is a great place, is a great place to deposit a memorial of what God has done in your life. It talks over and over and over in the scripture. Actually, turn to Psalm chapter 20. Psalm chapter 20. This will be our last passage for this morning. I, I don't know when this psalm was written. This is a psalm of David. So David himself wrote this psalm. And I think he probably wrote it right around the same time he was living for Samuel chapter 20. Listen to what David writes. He says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Praise the Lord. Man, if I found Goliath's sword in the temple, I'd probably write this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. Come on. That's what a sword in the sanctuary sounds like. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Doesn't that sound like someone who just found the sword of Goliath in the temple? Now, let's go a little bit deeper. He says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses 
but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Let me grab this sword again. So, I think David probably thought a little harder once he grabbed the sword. He grabbed it. He said, whoa, I remember. God is with me. The same God that helped me defeat Goliath is with me now, and God doesn't change, so I'm going to be okay. And then he probably thought this. I'm just, I don't know, taking my artistic license. He's probably thinking the last guy who trusted in this sword lost his head. In other words, I can choose to trust in the thing I can see or I can trust in the God who saves. And sometimes when we run for control, we run for what's familiar, we try to grab something that we know we can do, that's not what God's saying. Goliath trusted in this sword and he lost his head. And I'm telling you, there are many times and many things in our life that are reaching for our trust. Your bank account is, is knocking on the door of your heart right now saying, hey, I need you to trust in me. Maybe a relationship. May, it could be anything. I think sometimes we trust the things of this world instead of the God of, uh, of, of the Bible. Like we trust the thing and not the God of the thing. Does that make sense? We want something physical that we can grab. We want something we can hold on to because it's hard to trust because trust is kind of invisible. Like it's something that happens in our heart, which we choose to believe, but sometimes we need something. And so God sent this sword to David, not to trust in a sword because he was going to fight with it, but to remind him of who God was. You know how I know? David never used the sword. He never used it. Like he carried it around. There's no record in all of scripture that David used the sword after he chopped off Goliath's head. He just had it with him as a reminder of who God was. Big bank accounts make it easy to forget how big our God is. But so many times, God in his wisdom will allow trouble in our life so we remember him. He'll allow a Saul to chase us for a little while so we remember who he is. Remembering leads to trusting, but trusting only happens in one place. I can't trust God in yesterday. I can't trust God in, in tomorrow. I can only trust God in the present. I have a, a missionary friend. I won't name his name. Long-time missionary. He's been off the mission field for a long time. And every time I talk to him, uh, he talks about what God used to do. He tells all the stories. He's really good at remembering, but not so good at trusting in the present. And it makes me sad. Like, Yes, it's great all the things that God's done, and I want to ask him, but what is God doing now? What's he saying now? And the reason for trusting in the past or remembering in the past is to bring us to the present so we can remember God today. The present moment is, only, is the only place where we can meet God. It's like remembering creates a shorter leap of faith. Because when you've forgotten God, he seems so far away, so distant, it seems impossible to trust him now. But when you remember, like David, you remember, oh, God just helped me defeat Goliath so I can trust him to help me today. Maybe that's why God created this whole thing of remembering. That's why he talks about it over and over in scripture. He wants us to remember him yesterday so we can trust him today. Trusting God today doesn't seem risky when I remember what he did yesterday. 
So let me ask you a question. How do you need to trust God now? It's like time is this conveyor belt that never stops. And it's coming from the future. It lands in today, and then it rolls off into the past. And we can't trust God over there. It'll come when it's time. We can only trust God now. And after now leaves, we can't trust God after it's gone. Like, we can trust God in this moment. And we can trust God in this moment. And we can trust God in this moment. And those of you who are leading your families, look at my eyes. What does it look like for you to trust God in the moments that are given to you? What does it look like? Does it look like you begin to honor God with your finances and invite God's power and provision by tithing to this house? Keith didn't know I was going to say that. He didn't ask me to. I just know that my wife and I have been tithing for 26 years, and we have been beyond blessed by the Lord. Why? Because we trust him in the moments. We trust him now. And we don't know all the answers. We don't know the crises that are coming tomorrow. We have folks watching online that need a miracle, that need to trust God now. We need the God who fights for us. We need a house of miracles. We don't know how it's all going to go, but I know this. Trusting God now is our best option. In the difficult days ahead, Jesus will come for a church who remembers what he did, but will trust him for what he will do. Amen? So I just want to give you three quick promises that are like probably the three heaviest hitting promises in the Bible because some people, when they are following God, they're like, I, what, what do I believe? What, you know, where do I put my trust? Where do I put my faith? And so you need to know that the promises of God are backed up by his character. So if God makes a promise in the Bible, you can take it to the bank. Let me give you three of them that will change your life. The first one, Philippians 4.19, God will supply all of your needs. Look at my eyes. Did you catch that? He will supply all of your needs. Now, I've been through times where I thought I needed more money than I actually needed. Did I always have food? Yeah. Did I? Sometimes when I, when I don't have enough money, that's not what I need. What I need is dependence on the Lord. So careful that, that our definition of need lines up with what God thinks we need. But we have his promise. So if you came in here fearing that you're not going to have enough, I promise you those who follow the Lord and are his children, he will provide all of your needs. You don't have to be afraid. Number two, Romans 8.28, another blockbuster promise that my God will work all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Every, doesn't matter what you're going through, the, the destination of your situation is good. It may not look good now. It means if it's not good, it's not over. God, everything is gonna work together for good. Like my house could be burning down right now. Right now, I don't know how it's gonna uh, end. It's gonna be hard, difficult, frustrating, but I know it'll be good. Because I have a promise, and God backs up his promises. I can trust him now in the promise, knowing that the future goodness is headed my way. Amen? Third promise, he will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you maybe walk, walked in this morning, and you thought to yourself, I'm alone. Look at my eyes. You are not 
alone. Your marital status does not dictate whether you're alone or not because you have a promise from the king of kings saying that he will never leave you, never forsake you. You're not alone. So I guess the worship team is going to come up. They're going to close with a song that talks about all of this stuff, even though we didn't plan it. I want to just share the last thing is something we call the gospel. It's the good news. If you've ever made bread, there's all kinds of ingredients. You got the flour, the eggs, the salt, the oil. You mix it all together. But there is a necessary ingredient for it to actually become bread, and it's yeast, right? Yeast is like this living organism, and when you put it in there, it causes the bread to come alive. Well, the gospel is information about Jesus, who is God, 2,000 years ago, came to earth, lived on this planet, never sinned, and actually paid for the sin of humanity, laid his life down as a ransom for you and for me, and it's this incredible free gift, and the only way for that free gift to be accounted to us is if we believe. Our faith is the yeast to that ingredient, to that situation. If you don't believe it, it doesn't help you. But the moment you believe that Jesus was actually God, actually lived on the earth, died a sinless life, and was resurrected, when you believe that, all of a sudden, life happens, and it becomes, a, uh, it, it, it pertains to you personally. That's the gospel. That's the good news is that God loves you, knows your name. And if you believe who Jesus is and what he did, that he was resurrected for the sins of mankind, if you believe that, the ingredients come alive. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, maybe you've heard about him, but you've never placed your personal faith in the person of Jesus, you can do that today. As a matter of fact, why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? I just want to invite anyone here. We're all going to pray together, so not to single anyone out. But if you're here today and you've never applied your faith to the information of the gospel, to the truth of Jesus, today is a perfect day to do it. And if you would pray this prayer, we're all going to pray out loud all over the room, online. Pray this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came to earth and lived a perfect life. And I believe you were crucified for my sin. And I also believe you were resurrected on the third day. So today I surrender my life to you. I ask you to come and take your home in me. And give me new life on the inside. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me perfectly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.